Well, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn to Psalm 103. That's where we're going to be at this morning. I hope it's a word of encouragement to your soul in this moment. I don't know how your week went. Uh, I'm guessing many of you and and some I've even talked to uh, had some highs and some lows, some ups and downs, and that's true of us always, but it seems to be more acute in these days. Uh, That's true for me. Last week, I preached that great passage from the Word of God, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. And I was just kind of soaking into that, soaking in that, leading up to that. And, and people would ask me, how are you feeling about this or that? And, and I would just refer to Psalm 46, like God is my refuge. And I was feeling that, believing that. And uh, Sunday, same thing. Monday, people asked. And I said, well, I just preached this. I, I'm feeling pretty good. Well, Tuesday morning... I'm in a Zoom call, uh, this time with some of my colleagues, my co-workers uh, in Europe. And uh, within about a half hour, 45 minute time, uh, just three waves of bad news came. And uh, they sent me in a telespin. I had forgotten Psalm 46. One was just personal and some financial things that I was kind of putting some hope in and, and trusting in that, that fell through. I got an email on that. The other one was uh, our, my, my co-worker, uh, the one I, she, she lives in Paris. She's a single girl, 26 years old. Uh, she told us that she thinks she has the virus. And so just that, that made my heart feel heavy. And then we got word about one of our co-workers that got the virus, had some underlying issues, and was, was in the intensive care unit. In fact, it had gone from bad to worse, and, and they were going to take her off of, of that, and uh, it was imminent. And so she wasn't able to get back to the UK to get her normal treatment, uh, and so she died the next day. And as these, these waves of bad news came, I felt myself feel frightened. I felt myself feel tense and anxious and worried once again. I had forgotten Psalm 46. There were ups and downs. And again, maybe some of you felt some of those things this week. You know, as a people, if there's one thing that we love is we love our safety, our comfort, and we love our freedom. And in this moment, all of those things are being stripped away from us. I was just thinking about that this week, that that what is God up to in this moment? I mean, those are not bad things. Comfort, safety, and freedom. They're just not ultimate things. And so God, who is on his throne, one of the things that he's doing is is he's wanting to strip us away from the things that we've placed such hope and trust in. And so uh, he's taking those things away. But as he takes those things away, he doesn't want us to be storm-tossed. He doesn't want us to be anxious. He, he wants us to turn our attention to him. But it's hard. It's hard sometimes. I think of uh, the disciples. They, they had a problem with this. You know, that there's a story in all the Gospels where uh, they're on, a, on the boat and the, the waves and are coming. And, and, and Mark's Gospel in chapter 4 tells us that the waves are such that, that it was already starting to fill up the boat. And many of these guys were fishermen. They, they knew that's bad news. Like, they heard the stories. You don't survive these kind of storms. And so, by, by all measures, from our perspective, they had every right to be freaking out. And so they were. <laughs> And they go and they look and they get Jesus and, and he's sleeping. He's sleeping. 
They, they shake him awake and, and maybe groggy-eyed. I don't know how Jesus wakes up in that moment, but um, he tells the waves, stop it. And then he looks at the disciples and he's like, why? Why'd you doubt? I mean, I feel for the disciples there. I get that. And yet Jesus was saying, look, if you're with me and you're, you're covered by my authority, my love, my father's dominion, what are you worried about? I, I, uh, this week, as I've been home, like the rest of you, uh, every morning I come down and the sun comes through our sunroom and there's this spot where the sun just shines on the floor. And, and you know who I find there? I find my dog. <laughs> my dog Mila is just laying there, soaking up the sun. And I look at her face and there's not a care in the world. And she's one of God's creatures. She's not freaking out. She's not worried about her mortgage. She's not worried about job. She is just resting in the sun. And I think that's where God would have us move in this moment. Not scrambling, not, not ups and downs, but resting in the sun. You know, our, part of my problem on Tuesday was that I was, I was still depending on the spiritual nutrients of last Sunday to feed me on Tuesday. So, so our bodies are often a mirror of our souls. And so our, our bodies need rest. They need nutrients. They need uh, a drink. And so that's why Jesus so often talks about, I am the bread of life. I'm the, the, the living water. He, he, he draws this analogy there. But, but it can be said that you would not eat an amazing meal on Sunday and expect that to last you for the rest of the week. And the, the lives that we've lived, the self-sufficient lives that we lived, we, we've been able to kind of just get by, by with junk food and, and feed ourselves every now and again. But this is the moment where we need spiritual nutrients, right? If you've been to the, to the grocery store in the last couple of weeks, what you find is not only is the toilet paper gone, but, but the meat is scarce, the vegetables, the rice and the beans, that's scarce because people in, in, in this kind of moment know they need sustenance. And that is true of our souls as well. We don't need junk food. We need sustenance. And Psalm 103 is going to give us solid food. This should be an encouragement to your soul. Now, it's not going to last you the whole week. It's not going to last me the whole week. But, but in the psalm, he's going to show us how throughout the whole week, we can get our souls fed and that we can rest in him and we can drink from living water. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 103. This is a Psalm of David is what it says. Let me just read the couple verse, couple verses. I'll pray for us and then we'll begin to unpack. Verses one and two. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Would you join me in prayer? Father, as we look at your word, feed us, nourish us, calm us, give us rest. Thank you that your word can do that. Thank you that we have it. Thank you that your spirit is present with us no matter what. Lord, renew our souls, recalibrate our hearts to the truth of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you notice how the psalm starts. Who, who is David talking to in this moment? He's talking to his soul. 
He's not just talking to his soul. He's commanding his soul. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's making a commandment. And sometimes what we need to do is sit our souls down and say, hey, in this moment, you must bless the Lord. You must praise the Lord. Because quite frankly, there are times where my soul doesn't want to bless the Lord. My soul doesn't want to rest in the Lord. My soul wants to be afraid. My soul wants to fear. My soul wants to be lazy. My soul wants to do a bunch of other things than bless the Lord. And so David engages in what what I'll call Christian meditation. See, kind of popular Eastern meditation is an emptying of the mind. But but Christian meditation is saying, no, I'm going to fill, fill my mind with what's right, with what, and with what's true. And so he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. That's what you were created for. And again, he repeats himself, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. That, that, that's what I want to look at this, today. Forget not all his benefits. Now, there are 10 million benefits to being known by God and knowing God. And we will explore all those benefits for all of eternity. But but in this moment, we're not told what David's going through. Obviously, he's got to sit his soul down and say, hey, you're going to bless the Lord. Maybe his soul didn't feel like blessing the Lord, but he maybe he's in, in trouble. Maybe his enemies are surrounding him. Maybe he's sick. Maybe he's had some loss. Maybe any number of things, but it doesn't tell us. And that's a good thing for you and me because this psalm is meant not just for David, but for all of God's people. Throughout all of time, facing all kinds of circumstances, situations, trials, temptations. And it's meant to be applied to our lives here. And so he commands his soul and and we are to command our soul to bless the Lord, forget not all his benefits. And David is going to uh, really highlight two massive benefits of what it means to be known by God and know God. And, and this is what I want us to renew our minds to today, to the, this week. In fact, if you drop down to verse 13 and 14, I think this is really the crux of it. Everything else, all the other blessings will flow out of, out of this blessing here. Look at it, verse 13. It says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Did did you catch that? David wants us to realize how God sees us. So it's not just enough to know who God is and what is ultimately true and where we're going. It's important for us to, to know how God sees us, especially in these moments of trials. And David says, God sees you as a loving father sees his kids. He's relating us to a, a relationship with a father that has compassion. This is how God looks at us, his covenant children. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He is a compassionate father. This is an amazing truth in, in all the Bible. You know, when we gather with the, the saints and the, our brothers and sisters in heaven, you know, everyone in that place except for Jesus, will have been chosen and adopted by God the Father and brought into the household of God. This is an amazing truth. The Apostle Paul writes about this in his letter to the Galatians. 
In Galatians chapter 4, he just reminds them of this truth, that we have a compassionate, loving Father. This is how God sees us. Galatians 4, 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the gospel. It's not just that we are forgiven and now we get to uh, you know, uh, be in God's kingdom as citizens or, or slaves in the kingdom. No, we are sons and daughters lo- beloved by God the Father. There are amazing doctrines in the Bible, but, but perhaps the most amazing, I'm going to agree with my, I'm going to agree with J.I. Packer here. J.I. Packer wrote this book called Knowing God. This is a classic and worth your time. But in it, he's got this chapter on, uh, on what it means to be sons and daughters of God, what it means to be adopted by God. Listen to what J.I. Packer says. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. He goes on in this chapter to talk about a little bit more, comparing it to the doctrine of justification. He says this, Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love. And viewing God as a father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. This is the first massive benefit that that I wanted to look at as that David points out to us that, that we are loved by God and he has compassion for us. Look at verse 14. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Now this is not making little of us. He's just acknowledging the fact that, that th- this life, our lives here, we are frail. And he, he'll go on to unpack that a little bit. We are frail psychologically. We are frail spiritually. We are frail physically. We just, we just don't last very long on this side of eternity. But God doesn't look at that and say, oh, that's, you're expendable. He, he notices we are frail and he handles us with care. I think of when I was growing up, my mom had special crystal and it got brought out at special occasions, Thanksgiving and Christmas and, and it was hand washed and it was just, it was valuable and it was cared for delicately. This is what David is saying about us as God's sons and daughters. And he knows we're frail. That just means he knows that we are frail um, morally Excuse me. He knows we're going to sin. He knows we're going to fall short. We're going to see in a moment. But even in that, because he's a loving, compassionate father, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. 
we're frail psychologically, spiritually. He, he knows that our faith's going to falter at times. He knows we're going to have ups and downs, and yet he's patient with us and loving us. This is a benefit of knowing God. And out of this benefit, as, as God is our Father, our compassionate Father, I think all the other benefits of what it means to be in the king, kingdom of God come out of this. In fact, David's going to point out several of them or the second big benefit. Let's look back up at verse 3. He ends verse 2, Forget not all of its benefits, who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases, Sorry, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. So what what is he doing as he's remembering the benefits of God? He's actually remembering the works of God in the past. He's remembering how God, as a compassionate, loving father, took his sons and daughters out of slavery into the promised land, across the Red Sea, and in just countless ways provided for them. And David is remembering who God is and what he has done. And then he goes on, he says, uh, verse 6, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Now, now, if that sounds familiar to you, it's because that's David is actually quoting the most quoted verse in the whole Bible. It is the thesis verse of the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. He's quoting it. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Again, the steadfast love is this unstoppable, never conquered uh, love that God is uh, pouring out on us. Now, this comes from Exodus 34, 6. This is important because Exodus 34, it comes right after God has brought his people into the promised land. He has delivered them. He has shown them time and time again of his might and his power and his care and his love. And Moses goes up on the mountain excuse me, goes up on the mountain and God gives him his good law. And and as Moses up up there, they start, the the people start to freak out. They start, they forget all that God has done for them. And so they, they fashion a golden calf and they begin to bow down and worship this calf. Now, God would have had every right to just take them out in that moment. But Moses prays for them pleads for them. God relents and then God reveals himself to Moses in this very unique way. Exodus chapter 34 verse 6. I'm just going to turn there real quick. Exodus 34 6 and and we read that but but 37 says this. He talks about the the gracious slow to anger abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and then in the second half of verse 7 it says but who will by no means clear the guilty. Well, by no means. So how can God be compassionate, loving, merciful, forgiving, bounding in steadfast love, and yet at the same time, who will by no means clear the guilty? And how can David quote 34.6 and not 34.7? 
because he's making space for Jesus. He's making space for Jesus. All the Psalms are ultimately about Jesus. They're pointing us to Jesus. They're pointing us to the gospel. We'll, we'll see it. We'll see how it plays out here. It goes on. Verse 9. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. It says, God does not deal with us according to our sins. And yet, we know God is holy. <coughs> we know that, that our sins deserve the justified wrath of a holy God against our rebellion. But as David is remembering all the benefits of God, he says he does not deal with us according to our sins. Why? Because he dealt with Jesus according to our sins. Jesus came and lived a perfect life. A, a, a perfect life in thought, word, and deed. And he did not deserve any punishment. But in his love, in his mercy, he took on our sin on the cross and bore the justified wrath of God against sin. This whole passage is written to the people of God, to the covenant people of God. How is it that our sins are not dealt with according to what they deserve? Because we're in the new covenant. We're in the blood of Christ. We're, we're covered by him. And so the question for you is, are you part of the covenant people? Because this is a promise to God's covenant people. This is uh, how God shows compassion to his covenant people. He's, he's loved you through his son, Jesus. And if you ask, if you ask the question, have I, have I trusted in the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection? Have I turned from my sin and, and seen and savored Jesus? And if the answer is no, then, then you're not part of the God's covenant people. And yet, even in this moment, God has compassion on you. And his compassion looks like this. You're hearing my voice. He is opening the door to his family. He's opening the door to heaven. And right now, by grace through faith, the Bible tells us that you can turn from your sin and place your trust in Jesus. And you enter into the covenant people. And Jesus will take what you, you deserved on the cross. Look what it is. Look, look at the amazing grace that we get in Jesus. Verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far, and then he talks about the father Again, but as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I mean, this is an amazing picture of the, the complete grace of God. There, there is nothing that you could do that Jesus hasn't paid for on the cross if you've trusted in him. Now, now why, why do I go to this passage and look at these? These two massive benefits that, that David commands his soul. Do not forget. Don't forget God is a father. Don't forget that he's compassionate, loving, and forgiving. Don't forget that. Why, why do I say that in this moment? Because in these two benefits, your biggest problem for all of eternity has been dealt with. You are now reconciled by grace through faith to God the Father. So nothing in this world can come against you and separate you from the love of God. Uh, oh, you might get the coronavirus. You might lose your job. 
You might get cancer or you might get a heart attack or you might get in a car accident. You are not going to make it out of this place alive. And yet, because Jesus has come and dealt with our biggest problem, you can have hope and confidence forever and ever. God will not deal with you as your sins deserve. He dealt with Jesus in that way. So that's why we can say, and I've said it before, when, 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 when things are tumbling around us and someone asks us, how are you doing? Our response can be, with all sincerity, better than I deserve. And when they look at us weird, when, when, when our life seems to be crumbling and they're like, how can you possibly say that? You just tell them the gospel. Well, I, I deserve death and hell and the judgment of God. But guess what? I've been an adopted son of God and he is my father and he is a compassionate father and he's a loving father and, and he is controlling everything for his glory and my joy. So I'm doing a lot better than I deserve. That is the hope of the world that we have to offer church. Even or especially in moments like this, God is at work. So in light of this passage, in light of what David wants us to do as as we command our souls to bless the Lord, in fact, that's how he'll conclude this psalm. He'll talk about all of creation in verses 21 and 22 through 22, uh, blessing the Lord. And then he says, and guess what, soul? You get to bless the Lord too. Bless the Lord, O my soul, verse 22. So in light of this great truth today, and in light of the times in which we're in, how I've got two questions that that we should ask ourselves. And I don't have all the answers. I just want to throw these out there. Maybe uh, you you just kind of ponder them or think about them or, or in your gospel community on Zoom or with your friends on a call or with your spouse or your kids, you just kind of um, ask these questions today or this week. First one is, what are some of God's good purposes for you in this season? And if you really believe that God is a good and compassionate father and he knows our frame, he knows we're fragile and that he is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. If you really believe that, then then you can ask the question, why is God doing this in my life, in our lives? And then you begin to see that God is a good and compassionate father. I, I just wrote down a few this uh, are true of me, but maybe true of you, or, or or you could kind of come up with your own list. I think one I talked about already. God is smashing our idols. Safety, comfort, security—those are good things. They're not gods. And as He takes those away, and it's painful, then we have God at the end of the day. God will do this for us because He loves us. He wants to see and savor Him. He wants us to treasure Him above all. God intends this time to come inside, so to come further inside than just our homes, but come inside into our souls and do what the, the Puritans called the mortification of sin. So, so if we get through this and, and we get to go outside again, may we be different people because God will have been doing a work in our lives, sins in our lives, pride, uh, jealousy, greed, lust, whatever it is that has just kind of festered in the dark. This is a season for us to kill sin. And so that's a good thing that he's doing. God is, is, is growing our families. He is bringing us together. He's giving us margin in our lives that we didn't previously have to have conversations and to uh, actively love one another. God is giving us the moment to recognize our frailty 
Fragility, like we saw in Psalm 103, just recognize, man, I'm not going to be here forever, but I want to align my life and get my life right. This is a good thing that God is doing in the world right now. God is um, showing single people as they have to be at home alone that he isn't enough if they'll just turn to him. And I don't say that tritely. I know that there is some real pain in this, but but God wants to show each of us in our own way that he is enough. And God is giving us the opportunity to uh, really understand and maybe for the first time or maybe return to some spiritual disciplines that we can tell our soul to forget not all his benefits. And so, Question number two is, what are some ways we can take advantage of the season to train our souls to forget not all the Lord's benefits? Again, I've just got a few. Uh, I think one, you, your soul was made to sing the praises of God. That's what David told his soul. And so maybe the soundtrack of your home these days be the praise of God. Put it on the speakers, put it on the TV, find some songs that are rich, deep spiritual nutrients to your soul and have those playing and maybe play them loud, maybe open up the windows and let the neighbors hear that God is on his throne and that will feed your soul. So song, I think this is also a time to, to get into the word. You know, when David reminds himself of the benefits of God, did you notice he quotes scripture? He quotes other scripture. And in fact, I already said that Psalm or Exodus 34, 6 is the most quoted verse in the Bible because God puts it on repeat because he doesn't, he, he knows that we don't just need it once. We need it time and time again. So may this be a time where you set apart some significant time to get into the word, to memorize the word, to hear the word. Now, I would suggest possibly uh, pick a book uh, and just read through it. Maybe read through it in one setting. Maybe a gospel or um, read through the Psalms in 60 days. Or um, get, the, get, the, get an app where you can listen to the Word of God uh, read over you as you read along. So let me suggest the Dwell app. They've got a lot of mini reading programs that you can get involved. They've got year-long ones. They've got New Testament, Old Testament. But, but just get in there and dwell with the Word of God. Set apart some significant time in this moment, to be in the Word of God. Memorize the Word of God. David quotes Scripture because ha- he has it memorized. Uh, you can go and, and get an app like Fighter Verses from Desiring God. Just these kind of really faith-building verses that you can begin to practice and put into your soul so that you can command your soul to bless the Lord. So song, Bible, prayer. Prayer, again, it's a spiritual discipline. God is giving you maybe some margin to pray. Pray, pray alone. Go in your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, Jesus said. Or, or maybe uh, you pray with your family more, or, or you join us. Tonight at 8 p.m., we're going to continue in our 15 days of prayer. There's a link online on our website. You can click and open up a Zoom call. We just want to invite you to pray with us. And then Monday through Friday this week at 7 a.m., we did this this last week. It was amazing. We got to pray together as a the first thing we did as we woke up. And so Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Uh, and then next Saturday and Sunday, we'll close out the 15 days of prayer at 8 p.m. Uh, so we, we pray together, consider fasting. 
You know, this is a time to not just put on 20 pounds, but uh, more than that is to, uh, in the same way that our body hungers for food, uh, train our souls to hunger for God. And so uh, forego some meals, forego some uh, some some TV time, some, some internet time, um, just set some time apart that you wouldn't otherwise feed your so- feed yourself with food or, or with entertainment and set it apart to hunger and thirst for God. Um, one of the spiritual disciplines in the Bible is the discipline of remembering. Again, uh, we see it in Psalm 103, but, but in, in history, God's people were commanded to remember so, for example, when they crossed the Jordan River, when they, they crossed as a people, God had them set up these stones, these very high little tower, these high little, uh, these, these towers of stones, so that when future generations would come and they would see these strange stacks of stones, they would ask their parents, hey, what's up with that? And, and they would remember God's faithfulness. So what would it look like to practice the discipline of remembering in your household? Maybe you get a a remembrance journal and you just write down together all of the ways God is faithful. Maybe you do that uh, together around the dinner table or at breakfast, or maybe you go out into your yard and get some, get some stones and each day you stack some stones and you remember God's faithfulness. I would say we need to practice the discipline of gratitude. Like this is not a time to uh, lament our losses. There, There is a time to lament. I take that back. But it's also a time to say, uh, God is for us and not against us. And and let us remember, let's be grateful in this way. And so share around maybe breakfast table. What are you grateful for? Either in God or in physical um, provision, whatever. And then finally, I would just say, practice the discipline of being in community. Say, well, how is that possible? (laughs) We're out of community. Like this is the time now that you need community more than ever. And we have worked hard to make sure that at least in this digital virtual realm, we can have authentic community. So our gospel communities continue to meet and pray for one another. We've got Bible studies from women uh, that meet on Friday morning and, and Facebook Live things. Uh, there, there are core groups that are meeting together. If you've never been a part of a gospel community or you want to be a part of a, a core group, go online and, and click on our, our webpage that, that will point you to those things. We want to get you plugged in because you need community. So we may never return to normal life again. I mean, the world's going to be different regardless. The question is, are we? And how? If we can remind our souls and know that God has compassion on us as a loving father, how would that change us coming out of the other end of this? And if we can rest in the redeeming love of Christ during this time, how should that change us? We're going to be different people. My prayer is that the differences were more like Christ at the end of this. If we can do that, then we will forever be changed and forever grateful for all that God is doing through this crisis for our good and for his glory. So again, brothers and sisters, let's not waste this moment. Let's have those conversations with our souls and with one another this week as we forget not all his benefits. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that it would be an encouragement Uh, Lord, it would encourage us all week, but this would especially encourage us to continue to feed our souls this week. 
on the truth of who you are and who you are for us. Lord, bless us, protect us, remind us of the countless benefits of being in your presence. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.